coming tonight. Uh, for those of you listening, this is Frequently Asked Questions, um, episode number and uh, <laughs> 18, okay, episode number 18, volume 18, chapter 18, um, yeah, uh, and uh, we're, in, we're in the second week of the series of People in Place of Grace, <clears throat> and so this past Sunday, talked about um, responding to Christ, the, the R, responding to Christ, and um, talked about what, uh, what does a responsive disciple look like? What is, what is that about? And then the idea being uh, a responsive disciple, responsive discipleship is the kind of environment uh, that, that we want to, to, uh, to, to really stoke and encourage and cultivate here at Northside so that um, whatever it is we're doing, whenever we're doing it, uh, we are encouraging uh, people to respond to Christ for the first step in their faith or the next right step in their faith journey. So uh, we talked about that, and I had, uh, I had three questions come in um, um, online, and so I'll... I'll uh, I'll go after those, and then, of course, any questions or thoughts from you are always welcome. And uh, but before I get uh, get started, let me uh, lead us in prayer, and we'll jump in. Lord God in heaven, thank you for the way that you continue to call, uh, the way that you um, call out to the hearts of your people, Lord, the way that you provide grace. That, is, that makes it possible for us to understand our sin, understand the, the depth of our need, and grace that uh, helps us understand that you are, the only, you are the only way, that you are the only remedy, and that you're our only hope. And so, Lord, in that grace, we, we thank you for bringing us together tonight. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you would continue to call out to us. We know that you do, but help us to be receptive, to be listening, and to be responsive to uh, the different ways that you continue to call us in following you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, before I get into these questions that came in via email, um, any, uh, any thoughts, observations, questions from this past Sunday from, from you all, from y'all? And some of these might spur some of your questions once I get into these, but any, any from, from you all just kind of cold turkey here before I jump in? All right, well, I tell you what, I'll, uh, I'll start with this first one that came in. <clears throat> and I, I wanna say, th this, is, this is the kind of stuff that I like. I really like this. I like when people either Google or you know, check on things that I've said. I like that. I like that. I'm not, I'm not threatened by it. In fact, I, I, I would probably just attach, feel free to Google anything that I'm saying to make sure that I'm, you know, that I'm saying it right or that it's accurate. So anyway, Kevin, I just read an article saying that, uh, that, uh, that notion of being covered in rabbi's dust is just a rumor and not an actual practice. Are you familiar with this? 
So it's good. They, they cited a, uh, an article from the Gospel Coalition from, um, uh, from an author named Trevin Wax, and I like the sound of his first name, Trevin. Um, so he's got that going for him, because uh, it rhymes with another name that I'm very fond of. So, uh, but anyway, quoting, quoting Trev, Tre, Tre, I, I can't even read his name now, Trevin Wax, Trevin Wax, um, he, he writes of this idea of being covered in the rabbi's dust that this is one of the most pervasive and fast-spreading stories to flood the church in recent years. The idea is that as you walked behind your rabbi, he would kick up dust and you would become caked in it so that following your rabbi closely and the amount of cake or, or the amount of dust caked on you came to symbolize your commitment and zeal. So um, here's the thing about that. I'm, I'm familiar with that. I'm familiar with Trevin Wax. I'm even familiar with this, uh, with, with that um, uh, particular story of, you know, you, you, got it, you got it built up on your face and depending on how, how much was caked on your face, that was an indication of your devotion. I am familiar with that being uh, 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 an unsubstantiated um, I, I'll, I'll call it a rumor as well, but that's not what I was saying. Um, so I, I agree with uh, fact-checking. I, I agree with doing that. But uh, the idea of, um, the, the idea of <clears throat> becoming dusty, okay, becoming a dusty one, or um, following your rabbi so close metaphorically, <laughs> that you are covered in their dust. Um, actually, we, there, is, there are plenty of uh, facts and substantiations that that was uh, an actual understanding and um, even a, a hope and a desire. Uh, so let me kind of give uh, a few layers of that. Uh, the, the idea itself has been taught by well-respected um, teachers like John Ortberg um, and, and Ed Dobson and uh, Ray Vanderland, um, who many of you may be familiar with. Ray Vanderland uh, specifically does a lot of things about Jewish culture, and he has a whole DVD called In the Dust of the Rabbi, so you can check that out. Um, but they are not the actual source of, of this. Trevin Wax kind of goes on in his article a little, a little nasty for my taste, but but says really it's the stuff of of tour guide, uh, tour guide sideshow facts, uh, and I don't agree with that. But they are not the source. The source of this saying and this idea is from Mishnah Avot one four. The Mishnah was a collection of rabbinic thought from two hundred that that spanned from two hundred B.C. to two hundred A.D. Okay, and so this was basically kind of rabbinic, rabbinic commentary on different aspects of, of Jewish life and, and, and religion, um, and it still forms the core of much Jewish belief today. And so the quotation itself from Evat, I hope I'm saying that right, Evat 1-4, was a quotation from a sage named Yose bin Yoazer, okay? All right? Yose ben Yoazer. Why couldn't it just been Bob? But, um, but he was one of the earliest members of the rabbinic movement, and he lived about 200 years before Jesus, 
okay? And so this is what he, uh, what he said. This was his quotation. Let your house be a meeting place for the wise and powder yourself in the dust of their feet, the feet of the wise, and drink their words with thirstiness. So that's the, that's the source from which we get this idea that later would become this idiom, if you will, of may you follow your rabbi, and this was before they even called them rabbis, okay? They were called the wise or they were called sages at, at, at this time. Um, may you powder yourself in the dust of their feet. Again, the metaphorical thing here is what they're about, get it on you. Get it on you. Um, follow them that closely. He also goes on to say, drink their words with thirstiness. So again, we're, we're, we're talking metaphor. Okay, we're talking metaphor. But the, what is the reality behind the metaphor? Devotion. Devotion. So the overall idea here is to encourage people uh, during that time, because this is what you were getting in, into what was called Second Temple Judaism. Okay, because remember the first temple, the Temple of Solomon, had been destroyed during, during the invasion. And the second temple uh, had, had been built. And Second Temple Judaism uh, was a time when uh, shortly, shortly after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, uh, there would be these um, smaller communities because not everybody could go to the temple to worship. So you, you started to see the synagogue movement. I don't know if movement is the right word, Brian, but, um, but synagogues being set up and house, you know, house meetings being set up for Jewish communities. So with all that, um, it was to encourage people to make their homes places of study, places of study of the word of God, and to welcome these itinerant preachers who would pass through and, and teach and have followers with them, and to learn from them. These teachers, before 70 AD, were called sages, or hakamim, okay? Or the wise. You remember in Proverbs, oftentimes, the wise say, the wise say, who's calling me? Somebody from Wyoming, and I don't know them. Okay. Um, it is. They've been trying to find me. They've been trying to find me. I had, a, I, had a, I had a carrier pigeon the other day land on my shoulder, and Kevin, we've been looking for you. No, I'm kidding. Um, so... Any, anyway, the, the say, they were called sages before 70 AD, and then after that, the title rabbi began to be used more and more readily. So, I think the urban legend aspect, that's what Trevin Wax called it, was a biblical urban legend. Um, I, 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 I think what Trevin Wax is doing is he's, he's painting with too broad a brush. He's calling the, the whole thing and placing it under one category. Uh, calling it an urban legend. I think what's the urban legend is the idea of the amount of dust on your face uh, kind of gives away your devotion to your rabbi, but the actual idea, the metaphor, the principle of devotion, um, we've got pretty good source material that that was a thing. Um, 
So I think the urgent legend aspect is, is the thought that the disciples actually measured their devotion by the amount of dust accumulated on their faces. Here's a lesson. This is the difference between taking the Bible literally and taking the Bible literalistically, okay? There is, taking the Bible literally meaning we understand what it's saying according to the type of literature that we're looking at, the kind of, the part of speech we're looking at, the kind of story we're looking at. Is it poetry? Is it parable? Is it metaphor? Is it narrative? Is it history? And based on that type of literature, we, we interpret the saying to find the meaning. Literalistically is when and a lot of people will call that taking the Bible literally, but literalistically is when we kind of, well, it says what it means and it means what it says and we really don't make any sort of distinction or understanding. I think that's when you get issues like this and problems like this. So, um, do I need to unpack that a little more? Literal, literalistic or literal and literalistic. It's kind of the difference between taking something uh, that, okay, this is poetry, so I understand it a certain way. This is parable, so when Jesus says, if you're right, or, or this is metaphor, um, or this is exaggeration, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. Okay, so if you take that literally, you're understanding, is Jesus actually telling you to cut your hand off? Please say no. Okay, oh, you got scared me there for you got scared me there for a second. But literalistically would mean, but, but that's what he said. That Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. Okay, that's the difference. That's the difference between the two. And um, so I think part of. The, 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 not, it's not a bad question, it was a very good question, but I think the idea that, ah, oh, this part's an urban legend, it's the literalistic stuff, like, oh, we have, to, we have to measure. My dust on my face is thicker than yours, so I love God more than you do. Okay, that's kind of taking it literalistically uh, beyond what, it's, what it even intended. Any questions or, on that? Okay. By what? <laughs> well, there's things in the Bible that I believe. Uh huh. Literally, he made God mean it. Yeah. And what you're saying is kind of saying, well, he doesn't say that kind of stuff. I'm getting confused on mm -hmm. that part because I believe in what the Bible said because it was Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. and so I believe what the Bible says I mean I don't understand I mean I know when Jesus told us parables that they were stories you know I understand that and, and stuff like that but I believe what it says and I, I see there's not <clears throat> to look at something and, and, and say okay that was the parables just as an example, you're, you're still believing what it says. You're interpreting what it says, 
and how to read it and how to respond to it based on your knowledge that this is a story or this is a, um, uh, this is a type of storytelling where, uh, like when Jesus says, why are you worried about the speck of sawdust or the, the, the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye when there's a beam in your eye? Nobody that he was talking to had a beam sticking out of their eye. But they did too. You know, so it's, it's true. Is it true that people that he was talking to had beams sticking out of their eyes? But is it true that people he was talking to had beams sticking out of their eyes? Air quotes. Yes. yes. So that, that's, that's, that's the difference. That's the difference. In both, we're saying, I believe what the Bible is teaching. I believe what God is telling us. It's okay. How is God saying it here? How is, God, how is the message getting across? What form of instruction are we getting? Is it narrative? Is it, you know? And, uh, and this, so that's why it's really, really important to just keep in mind, <clears throat> what am I reading? What does it say? And because of what I'm reading, what does it mean? And that's part of why we, we do this in community. Yeah. Anything else? All right. Second question. Kevin, I appreciate that we should be learners. Um, this, was, uh, this, this came from, I think, point number two, uh, where a disciple responds by learning, unlearning, and relearning. Um, I appreciate that we should be learners, but shouldn't we also be convinced and certain? It sounds as if you were cautioning us against being certain in our beliefs? That's a, good, uh, that's a good question. So here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that any and all beliefs that you and I have, any and all beliefs should be open to evaluation. And what I mean by evaluation is we need to continue to think through them. Uh, we need to continue to um, shore them up. Uh, we need to subject them to challenges. Doing this will cause several different things. It, it can cause us to better understand and articulate the beliefs we have so that we get more to the bottom of not just what we believe and, and articulating that, but why we believe it. It can also help us to better understand the beliefs that are challenging our beliefs, because that's important too. It's not just it's not just important for you to know what you believe, but I think to the extent that you can, it's, it's good and it's wise to understand what others believe and how they got there, okay? So it can help you with that. It can help you do that. Um, continuing to have our beliefs evaluated and challenged and, and you know, continuing to think them through uh, can correct aspects of our thinking that maybe fall short because none of us have it all figured out, or can cause us to change our mind altogether, and I think that's part of the fear. If I listen to other beliefs, if I let my beliefs be evaluated and challenged, then I might be in danger of changing my mind. 
But listen to what the, listen to what the scripture says. Uh, I'm, I'm going to read this one passage, and then I'm going to refer to several, several different ones. In um, 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16, um, Peter writes, and you'll, you'll know this, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Okay, now you've heard that, you could probably quote that. So look at what it's doing. It's, it's, it's having several movements going on here at, at one time. Revere Christ as Lord in your heart, in your heart of hearts, in your heart uh, in biblical way, in a biblical term is not just the blood pumping muscle, Remember, that, that would be literalistic. You know, in your blood pumping muscle, set apart Jesus as Lord. No, what is he saying here? Speaking metaphorically, this, the heart is a metaphor for your essence, who you really are, okay? Who you really are, kind of the seat of your emotions. Right there, set apart Christ as Lord. With, with everything that I know, I follow Jesus, and Jesus is my Lord, Always be prepared to give an answer. How do you prepare to give an answer? You think through the answer you're gonna give. You think it through. You, you talk it out. You figure it out. <clears throat> Always be prepared to give an answer or an apology. Not an, I'm sorry, but a, a defense is what it's talking about here. A, a, a defense. Not, a, not defensively, but be able to say, well, here's what I think. And here's why I, I think it to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Why the gentleness and respect? Because there is as much value in the way that you interact and articulate your beliefs. There's much value in your posture in doing that as there is the substance of your, of your belief. But gentleness and respect is also communicating something to the other person. That here's, here's what I've got. Here's what I think. Here's why I think it. And I want to hear what you think. I'm, I'm, I'm respecting that you have a different way of seeing this and just as I'm trying to ask you to listen to me, I'm gonna to listen to you. But what I love is what verse 16 says, keeping a clear conscience, because we usually stop at verse 15. Gentleness and respect, boom, done. But there's actually, uh, the sentence keeps going because remember, chapter and verse divisions are not inspired. They're convenient, but they're not inspired, okay? But because his thought keeps going, keeping a clear conscience, why? So that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Page turn. Okay, and, that, and that's it. Keeping your conscience clear. That you're not articulating your beliefs in a way that's off-putting, disrespectful, offensive, um, condescending. Now, what this passage is instructing us to do, I think is impossible if we've not thought through, prayed through, evaluated what we believe. 
Because otherwise, how are we gonna know how to share it? How are we gonna know even how to, how to explain, how to uh, provide that, that defense? But here, here's, here's the other thing that I think is important here. The Bible is full of challenges to currently held beliefs of God's people. Okay, when, when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, how often did he say, you have heard it said, but I say to you, this is what you believe, but you need to change your mind. Okay, um, the epistles, the, the letters of Paul and Peter and Jude and James and whoever wrote Hebrews, um, were full of correction. I mean, the entire, the entire uh, epistle of Galatians was written to a, a church full of people who were falling back into legalism. And Paul is saying, stop it, change your minds. It's not Jesus plus anything. Because they were trying to make it Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus whatever. First uh, Corinthians, it, it's, it's all about why are you having these divisions among you? Um, what you have come to believe about yourselves and each other is misguided, it's wrong. It needs to be corrected. Um, in Acts chapter 18, Apollos. A Apollos was someone who um, had a lot of things pretty much right. <laughs> and then he became a follower of Christ and Priscilla and, and Aquila um, took him aside and it said showed him the way of God more completely corrected. Peter's vision in Acts chapter 10, because Peter was certain, had his mind made up, I can't eat that stuff. And there's a vision that he has at Cornelius's house, and all his food, eat it. I can't eat that. That's dirty. Don't call what I've made clean, unclean. Change your mind. So I think... To, to answer the question a little maybe more on the nose than I probably should, I think certainty is an unrealistic expectation given the finite limits of our thinking abilities, okay? So, so we shouldn't be certain. I think we should, well, let me finish, okay? Certainty requires in order for someone to be absolutely certain of a belief, of a thought, you have to have exhausted all other possibilities of an idea. And since none of us possess the ability of absolute knowledge of any idea, certainty seems unlikely, if not impossible. So then what do we do? I think the best we can do is to think as deeply, widely, and clearly as possible about what we believe, why we believe it, and also acknowledge that we see through a glass darkly, that we struggle to believe at times. Remember the person saying to Jesus, I believe, help my what? Unbelief. Unbelief. So do you believe or not believe? Come down. Yes. Do you believe or not believe? Yes. What time is it? You know, 
What time is it? That's why I love Frederick Buechner saying, I, I, I believed it yesterday and I rise from my bed and I ask myself the question, do I believe it again today? You know, I love that. Belief is at the same time this declaration and lying in the sand and an ongoing process and something that's developed. So I kind of steer clear of the word certainty. You know, am I, am I clear? Yeah. I'm as certain as I think I possibly can be in this life with my limitations and my limited knowledge and the fact that I will probably learn something more tomorrow that I didn't know today. But I think if we settle into this thing, I am certain of my beliefs, that can get us in, that can, that can make us think that there is no more room for any more learning. So I'll just, I would just be careful with that term. I would be careful with that term. Okay, so I think we do the best we can to think as widely, deeply, and clearly as we can, understanding we see through a glass darkly, we struggle at times to believe while believing, okay, and that we'll never see the whole picture in this life, okay? Uh, at, at best, we're like the little kid watching the parade through the hole in the fence, and we learn everything we can about what we see coming by. You know, understanding that it's our heavenly father who is way taller than us and sees the beginning from the end and even tells us, I can tell you what's coming. He can tell us, but can't, I, I can't see it. So, I, so I, I, I trust him. So is this certainty? I think I can be certain. I, I can be as certain as I can be in what I'm being told by the one I trust. But I think we strive to be, uh, so what, what terms would you use, what posture would you use, Kevin, if you don't necessarily use the word certainty? I think we strive to be reasonable and we can, we can believe uh, beyond hopefully a reasonable doubt. Maybe we get there. We, we are clear. We can be Sure, um, rather than believing that we can be absolutely certain. Now, that's just me, but I like to play with words like that. So, no, I, I, but to answer the question, I'm not cautioning against being, 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 um, doing everything we can to think as deeply and come to as firm a belief as we can. I'm not against that. I'm just saying if we ever get to the point where we're like, let me put it this way. I remember having lunch one time because I always go back to food. Um, I remember having lunch with a, with a student one time. I was in New Mexico <clears throat> and this was a, this was a, um, a college student who um, was involved in a lot of different campus ministries and everything and um, he made a big deal about how he was coming to our church to check me out. And so, you know, I took him to lunch because he said he had questions for me and everything like that. And we went through a, a few questions and he said, so um, what are you going to be preaching on, Pastor Kevin? And at that time, I said, you know, I'm, I'm, about, to, uh, I'm about to start a series in, in uh, the book of James. He said, ah, well, that's disappointing. I said, well, why is that disappointing? He said, well, you know, I've, 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 you know, James for some reason seems to be a favorite of pastors. I've, 
I really, I think, I don't think I'm gonna attend your church because I, I, I just don't think there's anything that you're gonna tell me in your series on James that I haven't already heard. And, you know, to which I replied, wow, I, you've got to tell me what it's like to have James mastered like that. Because I don't. I, I, I don't. I don't know what that's like. And was I being snarky? You decide. <laughs> um, I still paid for his lunch. Little punk. Um, <laughs> but, but, I mean, true to his word, he didn't, he didn't come to my church. So, uh, but I think it's that posture, that uh, there's really nothing else I need to know about this or nothing else I need to hear about this. Thoughts on that? Am I, am I off base on that? Or Yeah, no, maybe. Well, wouldn't that kind of circuit that you're talking about, it, you read the Bible through one time, go, I've got it, okay, I'm done. Oh, yeah? You know, in the scriptures, depending on where you are in life and what's happened, they speak to you at different times in different ways. Yeah, they do. Keep open about being willing to learn. I thought mm -hmm. that, that makes so much sense. Yeah, and I love, I can't remember what psalm it is, and it's probably in more than one of the psalms, but there's this, again, a, a metaphor that what we do with the word is, is we chew on it. And it talks about like, like a cow chews on a cud. Well, you know what cows do with cuds? They swallow them, and then what do they do? Bit comes back up. You chew on it some more. Yeah, comes back up, chew on it some more. So, you know, I'm, try, I'm still trying to figure out how to make that into a visual. But I haven't figured that out yet. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, that's what it, it's, oh, well, I've tasted this before. Well, but you've got to keep, you know, got to keep chewing on it. So, yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Um, any other questions that any of these questions have spurned or brought up? for you. All right, because I got one more. All right. The last point brought us something I've always, or, or brought up something I've always wondered. The last point of the sermon, which was um, uh, uh, responsive disciple. Um, oh, it was a play, it was a play off of Jim Elliott's quote. Um, y'all help me, I've slept since my sermon. <laughs> and some of y'all slept through it, but you know, we won't go there. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Um, he is no fool who lose, who, uh, oh, come on, Kevin, I'm tired. Um, he is no fool who. Disciples respond by giving up what they cannot keep to gain what they cannot lose. Thank you. Giving up what they cannot keep to gain what they cannot lose. Thank you, Braxton. Thank you. All right. So that last point brought up something I've always wondered. Is Jesus against Christians having nice things, being wealthy, etc.? Um, and I think that it must be not necessarily the, maybe that wasn't the, the thing about the uh, substance of how I worded the last point, but maybe some of the things I talked about um, the last point. But anyway, so the, the way I want to address this question is to go to, um, I, think we, I think we see Jesus' attitude um, on, on something like this really clear in Luke 18. And uh, so in Luke 18, it's, uh, it's the interaction between Jesus and the rich young ruler. 
Okay, and so I'll just kind of pick up in uh, Luke 18, verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Um, Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Now, are those all the commandments? No. No. So I said to myself, self, why did Jesus only name these commandments? Did he forget? Probably not. You know, he kind of wrote them. Um, so what, where is this? So I, I did some digging on this. Um, and there, there's a lot going on here. In, in, in essence, what a lot of commentators are saying is that the, the posture of this man's question and everything, um, he's lacking humility. Um, but I don't think that's really what this is... Uh, that's not where I want to camp out. Um, what's interesting is that Jesus names the commandments that focus on how we relate to others. Okay? Jesus is naming the commandments on how we relate to others. And so there was something about, not that this young ruler was rich, but something about the hold that stuff had on this rich young ruler that Jesus was putting his finger on, okay? Uh, The rich young ruler believed that he had his act together before God because he's very confident, I've kept all these since my youth, okay? But Jesus suggests um, that the very possessions he counted as blessings, see, here's the thing, it's that whole, uh, I'm getting things from God, if things are going well for me, then I'm blessed, I got lots of stuff, so I'm blessed. And it's the, it's the people that don't have a lot that are not blessed, so I have a lot, therefore I must be blessed. Okay, very common, very common um, idea in that day. Um, Jesus suggests that the very possessions he counted as blessings were actually liabilities holding him back from the relationship that he needed. So he was looking for validation, and Jesus points out that he needs freedom from the grip of his stuff. And, and so in verse uh, 21, all these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven, then follow me. So is Jesus against material wealth? That's kind of the question. Uh, Christians debate this and um, they tend to come to two extremes that this is not applicable to anyone, you know, or that this is a condemnation against wealth. And really, neither one of those are are, are correct. This really isn't just about money um, because Jesus' ministry was funded by wealthy men and women. Um, The early church was fostered and funded in the same way and continues But I think we can see in verse 23 where this kind of comes to a head. When he heard what Jesus said, sell what you have and and give to the poor, then come follow me, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In a story like this, it can be easy to maybe go where, where the questioner went and say, aha, see, there's something inherently questionable uh, about material wealth and everything like that. 
but I don't, I think what the story shows us is not that in order to be right with God, we need to purge our garages and our basements. Um, I, I think it's, it's a story that asks us, what is it that keeps you from following Jesus? And that was really the point of the last point <laughs> of, of the message is whatever it is that you're clinging on to as a source of life that isn't um, permanent, eternal, and, and of, 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 of grace is, is something that's gonna let you down or someone that's gonna let you down. That could be material wealth, but it could be a hobby. It could be, uh, it could be a, 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 an achievement. It could be a past, um, it could be a past victory, you know. Oh, I remember that, that thing that God did, you know, 20 years ago. It could, whatever, you can insert anything there. So it's not just that it's material wealth. It can be, but it's not just that. I think if, if this rich young ruler would, would have had something else that was holding him back. But in, 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 his, in this story, it was his material wealth and the impact that was having on how he related to other people that was holding him back from following Jesus. Hence, when Jesus said, one thing you lack, sell your stuff and give to the poor, it demonstrated, wait a minute, all those commandments about how I relate to others, no thanks. And that's what was holding him, holding him back. So <clears throat> my, my point in that last point <laughs> was in order to receive what Jesus offers, we need to come to him with empty hands. And the problem with the rich young ruler is he kind of didn't have room for Jesus, if you will, because he was already so full and needed emptying. And I think that's, that's part of our response as a disciple is we, we are, is our, ours is, a, is a, a life of following Jesus and of Jesus emptying us of anything and everything that would hold us back from following him fully, whatever it is. It's not just exclusively, oh, well, if you're wealthy, then somehow you're out of step with God. It's not that. It's, it's not what you have. It's kind of what has you. So I hope that, I hope that makes sense. Um, so no, Jesus is not against Christians having nice things um, or, being, or being wealthy. It's if those, if those nice things have you and own you and are holding you back, I think that's when it becomes an issue, becomes a problem. So those are the three questions that I got. Any, anything from, from, from y'all? All right. Anything else about anything else? All right. I I I love James. 
I love James. This is the Proverbs of the, he's the Proverbs of the New Testament is what, I, is, is what I've heard, heard it called. Um, and so, yeah, we're gonna, because um, I, I do like to mix it up. Like right now, you know, we're going to different passages of scripture around a particular subject, topic, or theme. And I like to do that. But, and then I, I also like to go through a book of the Bible. And so what's actually coming next is we're gonna go through Habakkuk. And uh, even the Easter sermon is coming out of Habakkuk. It's gonna be fun. I love, well, I have a weird love thing with Habakkuk because Habakkuk is, he's, he's a grump. He's an absolute grump. Um, but I love him because I can resemble that remark some days, many days. I'll stop. <laughs> Um, and then remember, in a, in a few more weeks in here, we'll, we'll start our, uh, our trek through Revelation. Um, but uh, yeah, James is on the docket. James is coming. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll, for 2022, I've got, uh, let's see, the books of the Bible that I'm going to go through is Habakkuk. Uh, I'm going to go through 1 Peter. Um, I'm going to go through Jonah. Think. Am I going through Acts? I'll have to. I'll have to look. I have to look at my preaching calendar. So, yeah. And I'm talking about marriage. And we'll talk about uh, a series where every every one of the words ends with ships, like discipleship and membership and worship and, um, yeah. So that's going to be the the boat series. We'll be talking about church. And on that note, um, those are for my Canadian friends. Yeah. All right. I'll hang around for you guys to throw your tomatoes and, um, or ask additional questions, but uh, let, let's pray and we'll call, it, we'll call it a night. Thank you guys for being here and thank, thank you, those of you who, who uh, have continued to listen uh, through the dad jokes. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for uh, just your amazing, amazing love. Thank you for tonight. Uh, I know that those of us who are here live, uh, we're still kind of basking in the glow of the incredible worship experience we had earlier, and we just continue to thank you for grace upon grace upon grace that, uh, that, that you pour out on us. Um, but Lord, for this time tonight, thank you for the questions. Uh, help us to continue to um, really apply what it means for us to become a people in place of grace and keep our hearts responsive to you, Lord. Keep our lives responsive to you in all things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.